Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott, and Happy New Year. Coming up on today's program, the Healthcare Georgia Foundation has a mission in addressing health inequities, and the foundation recently had its work recognized by philanthropist Mackenzie Scott with a $9 million donation. So we'll revisit a conversation with the organization's executive director, Christy Klein-Davis. We're really interested in doing is looking at how the healthcare and health broadly Mm -hmm. systems serve or do not serve people and try and narrow those gaps. So really try and find ways to shift systems so that people can have access to what they need to live healthy lives. Plus, what is the future of cryptocurrency or perhaps how much faith is left in the digital currency industry after all the drama with FTX and its founders? And also later, reaction and concern regarding Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin, who collapsed last night during Monday Night Football, will have reflection and reaction from the Atlanta area. Important conversations coming up. But first this, Governor Brian Kemp comes into this next legislative session in January, of course, with a lot of power and influence as he easily won re-election. And it comes at a time when lawmakers at the Capitol are changing, as we hear from Susanna Capaluto. When lawmakers start their 40-day session, John Burns replaces the late David Ralston as Speaker of the House, and Burt Jones was elected Lieutenant Governor to lead the Senate. These changes matter, says UGA political scientist Charles Bullock. You know, with a new Speaker and a new Lieutenant Governor, you know, they're not likely to have the same influence, power, that their predecessors had. Bullock says they'll likely spend much of their first session cementing relationships and securing that influence. One person who can help with that is Governor Brian Kemp, who won re-election by about seven points and has solidified his power base. Bullock says Kemp should have no trouble convincing lawmakers to support his priorities. So my expectation is that whatever he asks for the legislature to do probably will get done. Kemp will outline his budget priorities in the coming weeks. Susanna Capaluto, WABE News. Also this legislative session, health care, of course, is likely to be a big topic of debate. Jess Mador reports on what the leading physicians advocacy group will be pushing for this year. Among the Medical Association of Georgia's 2023 priorities is expanding Medicaid to cover more uninsured Georgians. The group wants to up the state's tobacco tax. That remains below the national average. It's also pushing for pharmacy benefit reform. Pharmacy benefit managers negotiate with drug makers and develop so-called formularies that play a big role in determining which medications insurance covers and how much they cost. The Medical Association says it also wants to protect the physician-patient relationship. Abortion rights supporters say Georgia's six-week abortion law interferes with that relationship. A lawsuit challenging the law is working its way through the legal system. The state Supreme Court is expected to take up the case soon. Jess Mador, WABE News. And also this year, state legislators could pick up discussions around two big housing issues, homelessness and investor-run rentals, as Stephanie Stokes reports. Lawmakers have explored these topics in study committees since the last legislative session. One in the Georgia House looked at regulations on investor-owned housing. Some cities have banned investors from building new communities just for rental housing. A Macon lawmaker has argued this interferes with the free market. Then in the Senate, a study committee took up concerns about people living unsheltered outside. A Cordial senator pushed a bill last session that would criminalize encampments under state law and encouraged cities to create their own government-sanctioned camps. Atlanta-area lawmakers push back against this idea. The 2023 legislative session starts in early January. 
Stephanie Stokes, WABE News. And finally, a state lawmaker-to-be who was arrested after winning his race for a seat in the Georgia House has decided to step aside. Why? Well, Republican Danny Rampe, who was set to represent a district around Winder, would have faced a possible suspension as soon as he was sworn into office next week. He was arrested last month after investigators said he stole prescription narcotics at the retirement complex he manages. A special election will be held at the end of the month. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Right now, the cryptocurrency industry is having a PR nightmare. Last month, during a congressional hearing on the collapse of FTX, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren expressed concern when questioning the lack of accountability and oversight. So Sam Bankman-Fried and other crypto billionaires argue crypto is special. But a basic principle of our financial system is... Same kind of transactions, same kind of risk uh, means same rules apply. Right now, if a bank takes money from terrorists and the bank and the banker then have broken the law. And that's why banks spend so much time and so much energy identifying who their customers are and reporting suspicious activity to authorities. A lot of crypto firms are not doing these kinds of checks. Hmm. FTX is now a bankrupt company that formerly operated a cryptocurrency exchange and crypto hedge fund. The founder and former CEO, as mentioned, has been indicted on several charges, including wire fraud, commodities fraud, securities fraud, money laundering and campaign finance law violations. There's a lot. So what impact will this have on the cryptocurrency industry as well as why is it so hard to regulate? Well, join me now from the University of Guelph Humber is Professor George Bragas. He's the Associate Vice Provost at the university located in Canada and is an expert in business ethics and the bond and currency markets. Professor, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So you heard what uh, Senator Warren had to say, how much truth is in what she was talking about. Um, she is correct that it's, it's not um, a very well-regulated area. Um, there are there there are certain liberties that uh, uh, operators in the cryptocurrency field have that don't operate uh, among banks, and so I do expect with the FTX bankruptcy there will be uh, increasing calls for regulation, which you're already seeing, mm-hmm. and among the new regulations that uh, we're likely uh, to witness uh, will be limitations on who can transact with uh, cryptocurrency firms. Uh, requirements that they get to know their clients so that they're not transacting with criminal uh, with criminal organizations. Uh, so uh, I, I I think she's I think she's mostly correct that mm-hmm. uh, we're it's it's not a very well regulated space and uh, we're going to see much more regulation in the years ahead. I have a, a actually a very good question from a listener who says, Rose, I just don't understand cryptocurrency. So let's back up a little bit, Professor, if you sure. can. Let's explain. Explain this to someone who has no idea what in the world we're talking about. Yes. Uh, so cryptocurrency is essentially a digital form of currency. Uh, so unlike the currency that we deal with in everyday lives, which has a an existence on paper, although it doesn't simply exist on paper, we can transact with dollars through our bank accounts, but it has an existence on paper and we could use it uh, in paper form. Mm-hmm. Um, cryptocurrency has no existence, at least officially on paper. You could represent it on paper, but it, uh, it has a complete digital form of existence. Uh, and the main difference between digital, between this digital type of currency and, and normal currency that we use is um, it's, it's not backed up by the government. So mm-hmm. our dollars that we use, they're backed up by the Federal Reserve. Uh, the Federal Reserve regulates the money supply. They determine how much money is out there. Mm-hmm. They also uh, determine the price of money through interest rates. Uh, uh, cryptocurrency exists uh, in a decentralized format. It exists on peer-to-peer computer networks. Mm-hmm. There's no one place in the world uh, where it exists, um, and it operates through something called a blockchain. Mm-hmm. And a blockchain is essentially um, a ledger. It's a ledger that records uh, all the transactions um, that are used, um, that are made using the cryptocurrency. And it's essentially a device that's used to determine uh, 
who has cryptocurrency mm-hmm. uh, and who is transacting with it. So think of it like a, a you know, just a, a, you have a ledger. A business may have a ledger and it'll record mm-hmm. who uh, who bought what, how much money was taken in, where the money went. Uh, cryptocurrency operates in the same way. There's a ledger, but this ledger is kept. Uh, on a uh, on computer peer to peer networks, and, and so that in essence, I, I hope I can be as simple as possible, uh, is what a cryptocurrency is. And and let's be really clear: there are lots of different types of crypto. There's Bitcoin. There's all this. There's Ethereum. There's Litecoin. You and I could probably create our own Bitcoin and call it the Georgian Rose coin, and somehow get it on this block exchange. Is that what you're saying? We could do that. Yeah. Yeah, we could. Yeah, I mean, as, as long as we had the ability to um, either we could uh, join a, an existing blockchain, mm-hmm. um, such as the Ethereum blockchain, which is already a host to a number of other cryptocurrencies besides the Ethereum uh, cryptocurrency, uh, or if we if we had the technical prowess, uh, we could uh, we could do our own blockchain. But yes, it's it's um, a lot more freedom of entry this is actually part of the lack of regulation that the mm-hmm. senator talks talks about um it's a lot easier to enter into this space than it is say to start a bank or to start to start a stock brokerage firm or to start a mutual fund why is it so hard um, to regulate why they regulate everything else is this because it's not this is a it's international obviously but why has this been so hard to regulate um i think there's two reasons one is as you say it's international mm-hmm. it's not located in any one jurisdiction uh, regulation typically operates on the principle that um, the government has control over a certain territory and then it can um, enforce laws over people operating in that territory. Uh, with cryptocurrency, because, as I mentioned before, it's not really located in any specific place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually located in multiple locations. This blockchain, this ledger exists in multiple p- parts of the world. So if um, if a particular government uh, with its authority over a certain territory were to try to regulate it, it mm-hmm. could only regulate that the, the cryptocurrency transactions that occur within its its territorial ambit. And it would be very difficult for it to um, control what goes on outside mm-hmm. its borders to do that. Uh, it would have to coordinate its activities with other governments around the sure. world, which is very difficult to very do. Very difficult to do. Just, yeah, so that's number one. The other, the other one I think is that it's um, uh, it's complicated. Um, I think uh, I know when you just asked me now, what is uh, what is cryptocurrency in a nutshell? <laughs> uh, it's always a bit of a struggle for me uh, to do that in a way that's sort of understandable to you know, say my aunt or somebody at that level. Uh, and I think uh, politicians are still trying to grapple with it. And making money with cryptocurrency appears to be you're still it's almost like the stock market in a sense because it, it changes although it change it can change from minute to minute in terms of the value and but how does something like FTX get to that point where now you've got billions and billions of dollars that have been allegedly um <laughs> you know swindled or you know ill-gotten you know depending on how right. you know how does that happen yeah so uh, and I want FTX, my money back from FTX. Am I going to get it? I'm yeah, gonna... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the odds of of, of uh, an FTX customer getting their money back, or at least all of their money back, are pretty are yeah. pretty uh, low. Um, I, mean, I mean, with the FTX situation, you had a, you had um, an exchange with ha- which was trusted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a lot of backing from very prominent members of the financial community, and also from people from the entertainment community and also people from 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 the athletics from sports um so it had all the uh markings it had all the signs that this was a legitimate organization uh unfortunately the people who were running it um including sam bankman fried and his his associates mm-hmm. um they appear again allegedly but it appears to have been a situation where uh there was a hedge fund um alameda research uh, that they were funneling money to mm-hmm. using uh, customer uh, customer funds. So money that belonged to customers was going to this hedge fund. We're not clear exactly what was going on in that hedge fund, mm-hmm. but most likely uh, they were uh, trying to cover up for losses in that hedge fund using customer funds. So, Professor, let's, let's then connect the dots here because based on what's happened with this, 
connected to what you just told all of our listeners about the challenges in trying to have oversight and accountability, is there anything that can be done? For example, could the United States try to enact some type of law that says you cannot deal in cryptocurrency on American soil? I mean, what comes out of this? Yeah, I mean, it could. Uh, I mean, the government, uh, the government's powers are greater than 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 are often thought to be the case when it comes to cryptocurrency. Uh, just because it operates internationally, it doesn't mean that the government is without ability to enforce any rules. Uh, certainly, um, the U.S. government could. Um, I mean, it's unlikely to do this, but it could prohibit people from engaging in cryptocurrency transactions. So, um, so it, that means that um, firms um, would be prohibited from engaging U.S. customers. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a long time, this was done in the gam- in the sports gambling industry. That's changed in the United States, uh, but um, and there was always ways around it. But um, the, the uh, it, that could that could uh, certainly happen. The more likely um, scenario is you have the same sort of controls that currently exist for banking and the investment industry. Mm-hmm. And these would be rules that would require firms to uh, know their clients, mm-hmm. uh, i.e. before they sign up any client, they have to um, uh, know, know their background, uh, get a sense of what their um, uh, knowledge of investing is, mm-hmm. what the purpose of, their, of, of opening the account is, uh, there also have to be checks to make sure that there's no money laundering going on. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly one thing you could do. Uh, another thing that could be done is you limit uh, entry uh, into the industry so that people who are allowed to transact in the cryptocurrency space, that they have minimum capital requirements, mm-hmm. uh, that um, uh, which already happens with banking. Um, and and uh, you could also have requirements uh, on accounting regulations that mm-hmm. uh, uh, that um, these firms are subject to periodic auditing uh, by federal and state regulators. So there's a number of of, of options that the U.S. government can take, uh, both at the uh, state and federal level, short of mm-hmm. uh, oh no prohibition. Although prohibition would be an option, although it'd be very difficult to enforce. Yeah. And Professor, on this program, we like to end with some optimism or we like to end segments, hopefully with some happiness. But is there some something good that can come out of cryptocurrency lending itself to improving someone's quality of life? I received an email maybe about four or five years ago and a gentleman wanted to come on and talk about how he felt cryptocurrency could help um, alleviate poverty. And he said he would get back to me. I haven't heard from him. But I mean, with this whole digital currency, is there something that can really benefit humankind out of all this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we always hear about the downsides of crypto, and certainly those downsides have been uh, much more in the news of late. Uh, but there are benefits. I mean, there, there is a reason why um, cryptocurrency has reached the, the level that it has in terms of the number of currencies that exist, mm-hmm. in terms of the number of exchanges and the, the, the value that's transacted on these exchanges. Um, I mean, one of one of the benefits of cryptocurrency is that it does allow access to the financial system to people who don't otherwise have it, mm-hmm. uh, either because of 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 their of, of the political conditions in their country, um, or because of poverty. I mean, there are many people who are uh, don't have access to the banking system, are unable to open a bank account, and mm-hmm. therefore unable to set, you know, unable to operate financially the way um, most of us are able to do. So that's one of the benefits. Uh, uh, certainly with uh, with cryptocurrency, we've seen this play out in the Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, where cryptocurrency was used to send money uh, to people there who needed it, obviously, to deal with uh, uh, with the wartime situation there. So there are, there are benefits. Uh, there's also lower transaction costs mm-hmm. to sending money. Uh, uh, basically, cryptocurrency cuts out the middle the middle person uh, out of the transactions, um, uh, so it helps send uh, helps people send money to their families. Um, certainly helps immigrant communities send uh, money uh, back to their families, uh, back in their home countries at a much lower uh, at a much lower cost than they otherwise could. 
Um, it does help you protect assets mm-hmm. against oppressive governments. So there are upsides to it. Um, although, you know, like I said, they're being they're being de-emphasized these days. <laughs> well, and then also, if if there are so many concerns, one could argue if there are all these concerns about cryptocurrency, perhaps maybe there needs to be some adjustments to our banking industry so folks don't feel like because they are mm-hmm. unbanked or underbanked that they have to then resort to the mm-hmm. cryptocurrency yeah. industry. That's a whole nother show, Professor Wright. Yes, indeed. <laughs> From the University of Guelph Humber is Professor George Braggus. He's Associate Vice Provost at the University located in Canada. Thank you so much. You answered some very important questions. Our listeners really appreciate it. I got some good, positive emails. Okay, thank you for having me. Take care now. Bye. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And you're listening to Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As mentioned earlier, health care reform is a priority for Georgia state lawmakers as they prepare for the start of a new legislative session. Now, the Healthcare Georgia Foundation is a major player when it comes to addressing health inequities. And the foundation, well, recently had its work recognized, not just with the email saying, hey, we love what you do, but how about a check? I'm assuming it was a check of nine million dollars from philanthropist Mackenzie Scott. No relation. And I spoke with President Christy Klein Davis about the foundation's work and, of course, how she first heard about the news. How did you hear about the nine million gift from philanthropist Mackenzie Scott? Well, we got an email. Um, you know, Mackenzie Scott has a different way of giving. So I'm learning. Philanthropists, <laughs> sure. So if, if people are you know aware of how foundations typically work, typically organizations submit grant applications and then there's a review process and they find out um, whether or not they're getting getting an award for work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie works differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Mackenzie has a team of people which is it's kept close, kept close to the chest. Um, who's doing this work, who look across the country and do a pretty rigorous set of background research to look for organizations that mm-hmm. have strong leadership, um, board and staff level, have excellent relationships with community, are known for listening to community voice, um, has have a history of work mm-hmm. in the community and what they assess to have potential for a transformative, a transformative future and to create transformative change. Let's back so, up. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So you got the email and we got the email. And then did you have, a... we got the email and it said, we're giving you $9 million. So that was, that was a fun call to my board chair. I have to say. And if you are a board chair, you're yeah. like, oh, that's good. You're in good standings there. Uh, let's back up a minute because the creation yeah. of your foundation was rather yeah. unique because it was created due to a settlement uh, with the that's Blue right. Cross and Blue Shield. Briefly tell our listeners what that was about. That's right. So this was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And this is actually happening across the country. So there were hospitals and insurance companies that had been not for profit in their status and became for profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of broke down from there what happened. But essentially, if you're going from being not profit to for profit, you can't just take all your assets with you because right. you amass some assets mm-hmm. due to your nonprofit tax status. So we were created when Blue Cross Blue Shield of Georgia went from being a not-for-profit insurance company to a for-profit insurance company. Um, A chunk of their assets Mm -hmm. was then taken to create a private entity that would fulfill the nonprofit mission. So we are not connected to the insurance company. We're not Mm -hmm. connected to state government. We're entirely independent. And you all, in in a nutshell, in a sense, you all look for initiatives and programs that obviously have a health care, health and wellness scope. Yep. Yeah, so we are interested in creating a Georgia in which all people have the opportunity to attain their fullest potential for health. So we're looking for where there's disparities in health. We know that in Georgia, 
we have some of the greatest medical advancements mm. that this country has seen. We have we have great research happening, obviously. We just heard about some of it. But then we also have people that can't get a strep test when they need a strep test. Right. That can't get, you know, a basic physical when they need a basic physical. So what we're really interested in doing is looking at how the healthcare and health broadly mm-hmm. systems serve or do not serve people and try and narrow those gaps. So really try and find ways to shift systems so that people can have access to what they need to live healthy lives. And you just heard I had a conversation. We were talking about an app that to work with kids with developmental disabilities. Mm -hmm. But you all, it's not, it could be physical, it could be mental. You're looking for, you all are wanting to partner with and help support just in a range of anything that deals with, that's connected to our quality of life as it relates to health and wellness. What are some of those initiatives that you you all have been involved in that you Mm -hmm. think highlight the work and the mission Mm -hmm. of the Healthcare Georgia Foundation? The role that we really take is trying to really bridge gaps between sectors, between communities, between groups, so that communities can develop solutions. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we, this is $9 million. We know how much the government spends every year on, you know, health programs and on programs to support people. $9 million is a drop in the bucket. But we also know that the money that is being spent isn't always closing those gaps Mm -hmm. that we see. Um, I want to name an initiative that we're just closing that was called the Two Georgias Initiative. Mm -hmm. So that initiative worked in 11 counties across the state of Georgia, where our support was for cross-sector collaborations in those counties to come together. So groups of educators, doctors, um, businessmen, politicians, community members themselves would come to the table, would name, here's the most pressing things that are facing our community, and would work together to develop solutions to to those problems. So our money was really spent bringing people together and uplifting people's ability to create the change that that they want to see. And then, of course, to create connections. So if we have work happening in Rome, Georgia, that's similar to work happening in Macon, Georgia, how can we uplift both of those pieces of work so that they can communicate with each other and actually make even more change and potentially elevate that change to be statewide? And so... And that's a lot. And so with <laughs> with this nine million dollars that you all this gift that you receive from Mackenzie Scott, mm-hmm. are you going to focus on in particular areas or you want do you want to try to get some new initiatives or go ahead and add to some of the existing projects and initiatives that you have going on? I think it'll be a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned that we got this this great email at the very end of September. Um, and we didn't know it was coming. So we are in the process of making our plans right now. I will say I think all best work evolves and builds on the work of the past. So we're certainly learning from the histories, the history of our work and our evolution. Um, I do know that our work will continue to be statewide. Our work will continue to center equity. We know that across, you know, healthcare and health broadly, mm-hmm. the same groups of people tend to have the biggest disparities, and that's our people of color, particularly Black and Latinx. That's people who are lower income, and that's people who are living in rural communities. So really looking at how we think intersectionally about some of those groups and really try and develop solutions in partnership um, with community that close those gaps. Do you have a focus? And it sounds like you you all have, you can fund a lot of different initiatives here, but do you have a focus if it's grassroots, if it's research? You know, I imagine that you also want to make sure you're partnering with folks that are, as they say, meeting people where they are. That's right. Our, so our focus, I love this question, is actually on bringing all of those groups together. So we believe that to make progress, we need grassroots. We need the academicians. We need health care providers. We need everyone to be part of the solution. So our goal is to create spaces and ways for, for those best solutions to bubble up when mm-hmm. those groups are able to come together. So we're, we're looking to do whatever we can to get those groups together. And how soon are you looking to imagine people pull over? We got to send <laughs> send an email like think, McKenzie Scott did. Yeah, no, I think we will start rolling. We will start rolling out some new programming probably mid 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have a strategic plan that went 2018 to 2023. So we're winding down some excellent work. The Two Georges Initiative is an example of that. Mm-hmm. Also some really excellent, excellent work in maternal and infant health, some excellent work in behavioral health that you know helps contribute to the Parity Act um, passing last year. So 
looking at getting that to the finish line and also what does it mean to evolve that work into a next version of ourselves? It is pretty nice to go into a new, I don't know if your fiscal year is a calendar year or July 1 to July 1 like <laughs> ours, but I know it's nice to just go into any year with a $9 million gift. How are you all funding and is this the largest single gift you've gotten from, uh, I guess, a, a private, like McKenzie's Scott yeah, absolutely. This yeah. absolutely is. Um, yeah. This is actually the first time we've received a donation of this sort. And it's our hope that we can, again, in partnership with those that we have the privilege of working with, demonstrate that giving us that kind of a transformative investment actually makes transformative change in the community. So our hope is that perhaps we can use this to attract additional resources to Georgia in the future. Well, we're they say we might be going into a recession and we're in inflation right now. Uh, have you all seen a, a slowdown, though, since we've been in this pandemic and some of the your your I don't know how you track it. I don't know if you have just private, mostly big donations or smaller ones. Have you seen a, a little bit of a decrease since the so pandemic? We actually we actually don't um, rely on donations to to fund our work. So we work off of our endowment. So we have an endowment from the settlement that we spoke about, um, but a group called the Center for Effective Philanthropy just studied that issue and was mm -hmm. actually looking less at the pandemic, but more about do these gigantic <laughs> monetary gifts slow down other investments? Mm -hmm. And the good news is um, that they haven't. Um, they haven't slowed down other investments. So from that national look, it, it does seem that investments are not slowing down. Mm -hmm. We know that the pandemic also heightened awareness of yeah. a lot of the inequities that are faced by so many you know, people in the U.S. and Georgians are, are no different. So I think that that has also spurred some people to continue with their giving. And you mentioned the Georgia's recent uh, legislation as it relates to mental health. And that was something mm -hmm. that now the late Speaker David Rawson really championed. And this became highlighted during the pandemic, a focus on mental health resources and needs for folks in, in our in our nation. Uh, you all, in that regards, are you focusing on mm -hmm. youth as well? And because it seems to be that, from what I'm reading, there really needs to be a focus on youth. Yeah, that that is that is absolutely correct. And you know, you were hinting at shortages on your last segment, and that's certainly true in the mental health space as well. Um, you know, looking at issues like telehealth and how do we get access. Mm -hmm to people in rural areas of the state. We have specifically done some work uh, looking at reducing stigma mm -hmm. amongst youth around mental health. So specifically looking at black and again, Latinx youth and how do we you know, not make it embarrassing um, mm -hmm. to take care of one's mental health? How do we make it just like taking care of one's physical health? But there, there are huge gaps in availability of mental health services um, for youth as well as adults. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we know veterans across yeah. the state don't have access to treatment for you know PTSD, and mm -hmm. instead they they end up turning to alcohol or drugs, or worst case scenario, a gun. And you know we need to do better in terms of being able to take care of whole people, and we think we have the opportunity to do that. You all received an email from Mackenzie Scott's folks. If there are organizations out here who are listening to this right now, and they say, "Well, Rose, we don't know if we're going to get an email, <laughs> but we would like to get an email." How do folks get on your radar? So. I, I don't have a good answer to that. That is the one thing that they are very secretive about. And they are very good about saying, um, your gift is totally unrestricted. The one rule is that you don't hand out our email address or our phone number to anybody else. <laughs> well, how do so, folks get on your radar then? That. How do how folks, folks get, get on our radar? Yeah, yeah. so um, we have a Facebook presence, a LinkedIn presence, and also an email list. So I would encourage people to to follow us and join our email list. We'll start putting out opportunities to get to know us better, and we'll look forward to getting to know everybody else. And finally, uh, Christy Klein-Davis, why do you do this work? Oh, because it matters. Yeah. Because it matters. Um, you know, we have this amazing opportunity to actually make life better for people. Mm -hmm. Georgia, nine years in a row, number one state for business. Yet we have some of the worst health outcomes in the country, mm -hmm. and we don't have to make that choice. We can be a great state. We can be a state where people thrive, where people have opportunity. And I believe the people in this state want that for their neighbors. They want that for their friends. They want that for their fellow Georgians. So I do the work and we do the work because we believe that's possible. And it's a it's a gift and a privilege to be part of trying to make that happen every day. 
mental health. You all, you also mentioned the maternal mortality rate. We know mm-hmm. that Georgia was one of the three states with the worst maternal mortality rate That's in right. this nation. And you all are going to hopefully ramp up resources for that. Where do you begin? I'm just curious as we wrap up. Where do you begin with that? And, and with that? Yeah. So with that, there are, you know, grassroots organizations, Black Mamas Matter Alliance, mm-hmm. many. I'm just naming the first one that comes to mind. Um, there's the, I'm going to, the Maternal Health Equity Center. I think mm-hmm. that's what it's called at Morehouse. There are people all over this state that are doing excellent work that is, you know, grassroots, grass tops, et cetera, around maternal mortality. But our rates remain horrifically low, in particular, mm-hmm. of course, for Black women that face four times Mm-hmm. Um, the maternal mortality rates of white women. So the place to start there is to make sure we're creating spaces for all those groups to come together. So we're not working in silos. Absolutely. You know, again, so what's happening in Macon is known to what's happening in Rome is known to what's happening in Bainbridge. How do we pull that all together? So that's step one. All right. President and CEO, Healthcare Georgia Foundation, Christy Klein-Davis. Thank you so much for taking the time. Congratulations on that $9 million gift from Mackenzie Scott. No relation to me, because if she was, I'd probably <laughs> be doing something else. Thank you also for the work that you all are doing to help so many Georgians. Well, thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Sports, you know, it's it's about it's about competition. It's, it's big business. It's about teamwork. And then there are moments like what happened last night during Monday Night Football. Not what any of us want to see, and everybody's around him, and just hope that he's going to be okay. Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin collapsed last night during the game. Now, as we know as of right now, a statement from the Bills cited, quote, DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in our game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field, and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He's currently sedated and listed in critical condition, close quote. Lots to talk about here, lots of reflection Lots of analysis. I'm joined now by sports analyst Jordan Tucker and veteran sports broadcaster Mark Glasser, both who've been on the program of late here recently, and I appreciate it. Thank you both for taking the time. Rose, it's good to talk to you again. Yeah, uh, Rose, thank you for having me again. Thank you. All right. Mark, let me let me start with you because you, you, you're the OG of the OG of the young in here. <laughs> We've watched a lot of sports. Um, what went through your mind as you watched last night with DeMar Hamlin? Well, it's interesting, Rose, after a week of bowl mania mm-hmm. with all the college games and then leading into what was the NFL's signature game of the weekend on Monday Night Football of all platforms, I'm watching this as a fan, and as it unfolds, all I could focus on was not the announcers, but more the reaction of the players on the field. Mm-hmm. And you know when you know, you've been close enough to the action – when players that we only see with helmets on for the most part are reacting with such raw emotion, Mm -hmm. you know that there's something really unprecedented going on on the field. The only thing I can compare it to is Lawrence Taylor grabbing his helmet after he hit Joe Theismann and immediately signaling to the sidelines for, for, for help a few years back. But, Last night was like nothing we have ever seen on a football broadcast of that scale. Mm-hmm. Jordan Tucker, you have been out there on the field. Um, you you told me, I think, last week, how, how many surgeries and, and injuries have you had throughout your career? Yes. I'm, about, I, I'm at about four or five surgeries. Yeah. And, again, knowing your mom, who is not only a colleague of mine but a friend, um, you see your your son, you see your teammate injured lying there. Uh, Jordan, what goes through your mind as a player? You've seen your teammates injured, right? I've I've seen I've seen my players get injured. I've seen my friends get injured. People that I've lived with have been down on the field for 10, 10 15 minutes, not knowing if we need to get an ambulance or a stretcher out here. And I've seen some players get hit and tried to stand up and have to be sent off to the sideline. And it's it's really a scary sight. It's 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 a game at the end of the day. And 
I think the health of the players is should be priority number one. Mm-hmm. And just seeing that, what happened, how how it happened last night, I mean, it was it was really scary. And like like you said, uh, being able to take that helmet off and show raw emotion, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't really get to do that. And for it to be in that setting, is it, it really is scary. We are used to seeing players obviously maybe carted off the field, but they're alert. Um, some maybe can limp off the field, but they're alert, you know, and some go into the locker rooms. Seeing a player where CPR has to be administered and oxygen, that's that was jarring for so many people. Mark, last I want to I want to shift for a moment and talk about now how the league did. And the great thing about social media is that we can all come together and share ideas the bad thing about social media is some of y'all don't need to share anything, <laughs> you know. Um, it took a while. Initially, the players were going to be given a five-minute grace period. Now, you just mentioned this was unprecedented for us, but also for the league in a sense. But the league should have protocols. Something like this, you don't, you can't give players on the coaching staff just five minutes to get themselves together. Through your analysis here, Break this down. Did it take too? I think I know the answer is. Did it take too long for the league to cancel this game? Rose, you were in my head at that moment because when the announcement was made on the broadcast that the players would have a five-minute warm-up period, you, I had the sense that something wasn't right. And the way I understood, understand how the story evolved is that the players from the Bills, when they went to the locker room or on the way they refused to come out Mm -hmm. and as a result the Bengals said well if they're not playing we're not playing Mm -hmm. so there was to your to your point there was no league protocol because this is an event that I don't think the league has ever experienced with something like CPR being given on the field and an ambulance Mm -hmm. uh, being driven literally onto the field of play. So everything at that moment was just improvised. One thing I will say to pick up on that point, the second part of that, there was no precedent for media coverage because as you watch the game unfold, bros, you could see ESPN and the affiliated networks, Mm -hmm. they broke at least twice, if not three times for extended breaks as Hamlin was being treated on the field. Mm -hmm. There had to be at least maybe 25 minutes that elapsed. Mm -hmm. So they were trying their best to either fill or divert attention away from what was happening on the field. So Mm -hmm. that was a very delicate balancing act that the networks and the league, they work in tandem. Mm -hmm. They had to make decisions and the producers have to make decisions on the fly to figure out how do you cover this? And, and that is a debate for another time also. Well, and, and I want to get to that in a moment. Jordan, in a situation like that, because it's a teammate that you're witnessing CPR mm-hmm. and, and eventually oxygen, could you have even thought about trying to play no. after five minutes? No, not right. at all. <laughs> right, no question. I, I think, I mean, I've been, I've been scared seeing – uh, my teammates tear their ACLs and be on the ground. Like you, you hear the, the the stadium's quiet. You could hear the scream of your your brother, your teammate, and that it, it sticks with you mentally. It, it it's not something you can get over in five minutes, let alone one one day. Like the, this is something players might have to reach reach out to therapy for and mm-hmm. ask them to play in almost a 20, 30 minute span after the fact, seeing their friends seeing their colleagues seeing their teammate on the field receiving cpr i think it was ridiculous and i understand like i understand the media coverage and decisions had to be made mm-hmm. breaks had to be taken but at the same time i don't i don't i don't agree with giving them the five minute leeway of y'all are gonna have to go warm up you think they should have just said the the league should immediately have said because when it was clear he was not going to get up Right. You think the league could have just intervened? Now, Roger Goodell, this is Rose Scott speaking. Roger Goodell's got something to say about everything else. Just make the call and say we're canceling this game. Networks do the best you can, you know, and we'll either reschedule or what have you. 
you're saying they should just immediately, the league should have immediately just said, look, this game is canceled. It should have been immediate. The I think the the thing people, the fans, the people watching on TV look for is that thumbs up. Everyone looks from that thumbs up from that player over the, it could be over the span of five minutes, 30 minutes if they're on the ground. We didn't what, get that what, last night, yeah. We didn't get that. And like it had everybody, like there was chills running down my spine watching it just because I, I don't know what I would have done in that situation out there. I would have been an emotional mess if that was my mm-hmm. teammate or if even that was the opponent I was playing for or playing against because you don't you don't necessarily know what's going to happen on a football field, but you don't expect that. Mark, you and I have worked um, some games. I think we worked maybe the Heritage game some years ago. We've been we're broadcasters. We, we're trained allegedly to handle every situation. Um, I want get your assessment of how the networks is, but particularly ESPN, and watching Lisa Salter's uh, colleague for so many years of admired her work, breaking down pretty much um, in studio analysis. Uh, sure. It, it, it's interesting to that point, Rose. You wonder, how do you go back to a studio show when everyone is speechless? Mm-hmm. And as much as they tried, and it was a valiant effort, you could see Booger McFarlane on ABC struggle mm-hmm. to find the words. And at one point, he said, I know I'm repeating myself, but as a former player, uh, this is one of your teammates. This is this is much larger than just the game. Uh, I flipped between, you know, where they have the Manning cast. Mm-hmm. And I found it interesting. They also switched from the Manning cast back to the studio as well. Yeah. So I don't know what the tone was on that thread, but the ABC affiliate, ESPN affiliate networks all went back to that studio show back and forth. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I think I turned it off after maybe 40 minutes. And uh, I just, you know, went upstairs, went to bed and just said a couple of prayers for yeah. Hamlin and hoping that he would be OK in the morning. Yeah. You know, we are at that age now where we can start looking at I remember when I remember when Ray Boom Boom Mancini, the boxer. <laughs> Right. I think it was a, a and, and, and forgive me because I, I the, the boxer who died in the ring, his name escapes me. I think it was Kim Sue. I don't want to get his name incorrect, but Jordan, we were, you were watching boxing. This is when boxing used to come on Saturdays, Mark. And we were all around the TV and Ray Boom Boom Mancini was a bad man in the ring. And mm-hmm. this the boxer died in the ring. Um, it was his name, Kid Perrette, or something like that. I, I can't. I, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to mess up his his yeah, name anyway, or someone yeah. will. But I know the, I know the boxing match you're talking. Situations about. like that. Hank Gathers, basketball player, um, collapsing. Uh, sports and in a time like this, fellas, sports, that thrill of competition that takes a back seat because at the end of the day, it is about someone's life, someone's son someone's right. brother, someone's uncle. His mother was in the stands. Jordan, you you know what it's like to have your mom in the stands. And I, I've texted with your mom while you're playing and she's just like, beside herself. And I'm she's like, look at my baby. I'm like, yeah, I see your baby. You know, um, <laughs> that's a that's 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 what we're thinking about. Damar right. and his family. Right. Sure. Well there's all I think also a high five needs to go out to the first responders that Absolutely. were present yeah. on the sidelines and had the presence of mind to get to him quickly enough to administer CPR and who's ever medical staff was there first deserves an honorary pro bowl recognition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Complete. Cause I've seen some trainers, I've seen players collapse. I've seen players drop and some trainers are walking out there mm-hmm. or doing, sure. a, right. doing, a quick, doing a quick little strut, but they, yeah. I do commend them for the job they did because they were immediate with it and, you could you could tell like players all players will do the wave on wave on and mm-hmm. they were they were incredible with what they did. Great point. Great F- point. Finally, fellas, as we begin to wrap up this game, um, even if it is rescheduled, is what's the lesson here you hope for the league and going forward and how they handle situations like this, Jordan? Um, I would say just to take take an account that these players have have faces and they have lives they're human beings they're they can get sick they can get hurt and they can go to the hospital just the same as anybody else and for them to want to drag on and drag on i don't think it was very respectful to the family to the organizations being played or to the league as a whole 
just because the players, like they want to feel like they're cared for just the same as we're trying to care for the team. Like, and it's, it, it's just a rough thing to look at. It's, there's a lot going on here, but I think there are things that can be learned from this experience. And I think, like you said, I commend the first responders immediately. Yeah. They fantastic. Yeah. Mark, I'll give you the last word. I think, Rose, if there was ever a moment where the players association, the players and the league had an opportunity to really open up the lines of communication even more, this is it. Uh, as the game is faster, more violent, uh, there are issues that we don't even know the details of, but mm -hmm. it's a great opportunity, I think, for the players in the league to just sit down and really talk about uh, where the game is headed. Right. Mm. And by the way, just want to let uh, folks know, and, and thanks to Allison for this, that boxer who died in the ring some years ago was Kim Duk-koo, who was fighting uh, Ray Boo-Boom Mancini. He was a S South Korean boxer. Mark Lasseter, Jordan Tucker, thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good conversation that definitely lends itself beyond sports. And we also send our prayers to DeMar Hamlin and, of course, his family. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Always good to talk to you, Rose. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other, so send me an email, rose at wabe.org. If you missed any of today's program, it's online, wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe because it's free to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE Politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE Politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.